Alright, this is uh, recording 025, wave file, testing, testing, I still feel like I'm a little bit loud, so let me move this back here. So it's mostly about making sure that you qualify the user in the right way, so you put them in the right category, and they're being assigned the right level of required KYC verification. There's nothing I hate more than being asked for additional verification once I complete the transaction. Right. I feel like I'm I'm like super happy. I complete the ID scan. I'm good. I paid. Uh, waiting flow, and then it's like, oh, we need a bit more from you. So we're trying not to do that. We're trying to evaluate how much we're gonna need from the user and let them know early on. Let them know upfront what's gonna be requested from them and how long it's gonna take. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. If you're just tuning in, I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin and crypto's most influential leaders, the soldiers, those who are trailblazing right now, building right now. We get all sorts of guests, a lot of fun stories come out of this, connections are made, complexities are unraveled, and we can finally understand those like hard concepts and sometimes trade off of them or make the right decisions, not get scammed. But a lot of the times you guys are just listening to the show in the car while doing some work, maybe riding your motorcycle. Some people tell me, yeah, Charlie, I'm listening to your show. I'm riding my motorcycle across the whole United States and I'm just have it on and it's just beautiful to listen to. So, so to my friend listening out there, listening on your motorcycle, thanks for listening today. And Paulina, Paulina Yushkov, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And you are at ETH Denver right now. You know, you make me look good because we're getting all listeners. We're getting someone on the ground at ETH Denver in the moment. She ran to a studio so she can come and talk to us today. You are the head of commercial at Ramp Network. If you're following kind of the news on Silvergate today, over time, we know that those on and off ramps, what you do, you have the most important job, the most important company in our whole industry. Going back to when the industry started, I know because my company, BitInstant, did something similar to you, but we were back in 2011. But the on and off ramps, literally, you're calling yourself the Ramp Network to get in and out of our industry, connecting where our money is to where we want to get to where we want it to be, not just money, but data, NFTs. We want to be able to enjoy the augmented reality world. We want to be able to participate in crypto land and do whatever we want to do. It seems like over time, this solution had to be a custodial one, because how are you supposed to get money from one place to the next if someone's not custodializing it or centralized? And we've like veered towards all of these centralized exchanges, especially over the last year. And that's where we saw like the FTX and the Celsius and all that other stuff happen. Do you still have difficulty even opening up bank accounts or continuing to maintain some of these connections that you have, especially in countries where their banks may not understand what crypto is? Paulina, you are the head of commercial at Ramp Network. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me. And yeah, coming to you from Denver, much warmer than it was last year. I'm very happy about that. It's also much more crowded than it was last year. So we can definitely see that mass adoption happening right in front of our eyes. And I do really appreciate the topic that you've brought up. Non-custodial onboarding has been the focus of what we've been doing it for the very, very beginning. So I do feel very partisan to that to that topic. This is my suggested, only recommended way of onboarding into, into crypto through a non-custodial on-ramp. Wow. Like how? How is that? How can that possibly be non-custodial? 
So what we're supporting is we're supporting the onboarding directly to users' wallets. So instead of onboarding to into a wallet that is custodial by an exchange, you onboard to your own non-custodial wallet. So whether you hold your funds in Trust Wallet, MetaMask, um, Rainbow, whatever, you can top up those wallets through RAMP. So you don't need to store the assets with RAMP. You just use RAMP as a RAMP into crypto. So we don't hold users' funds. We let them onboard where they want to. We don't manage those funds and we make sure that that full onboarding process is non-custodial and risk-minimized. And you're also allowing your applications to be integrated in others' applications. They never need to leave, essentially. Yeah. The objective behind that was to... So why we did RAMP is... uh, Why we actually started RAMP was to foster that use case-driven adoption. So we wanted people to be able to use their crypto as soon as they want to. If they want to go play a game that is crypto-enabled, we wanted them to have instant access to cryptocurrencies when they needed that. Basically, from day one, we devised a solution that would live seamlessly within third-party applications. So we devised something that's going to be easy to integrate, easy to easy to manage, that would blend very nicely with the yeah. application's flow and would manage all the hardware related to fiat to crypto onboarding because that part is just not easy. It's never been easy. This is why custodial exchanges are dominant when it comes to um, on-ramping because doing that in a non-custodial setup gives you additional increases the difficulty level on the um, from the beginning. And what you mentioned about, you know, getting access to bank accounts and just doing business as a crypto company, this is difficult. This has been difficult when we started five years ago, and oh it's God. difficult still. The onboarding processes for crypto companies are still extremely painful. And it takes weeks to get onboarded to a bank. I remember like going back to 2011, opening up bank accounts for a company a bit instant. It was like you'd have to... We were a similar company as yourself, and uh, we enabled people for, for two years. We were the dominant place where people bought and sold Bitcoin because you'd had the only other exchange at the time was Mt. Gox, and uh, that was the only other place, and no one really wanted to wire money into someone's personal bank account. So we launched BitInstant, my partner and I, and we were very similar in that we made deals with various payment processors around the country and North America and enabled people to like go into local banks, pharmacies, grocery stores, deposit cash or a check in some instances, and then get their, through my software, get their Bitcoin instantly in their own wallet. And I remember like the investors wanted us to launch our own wallet. And I was a very young, I was like 22 years old. So I didn't understand the concept of like customer capturing and all these different business sense things that you learn when you go to like a really good university or you get to work at another startup and you can work under someone really brilliant. I didn't know any of these things. So I gave a lot of pushback on even launching my own wallet because I didn't want the perception of holding on to other people's money. And in fact, that was so anti what Bitcoin meant to me. And all those early Bitcoiners all those years ago was like, not your keys, not your crypto. I don't want to hold your crypto. It creates a huge liability for me and it goes against everything we're doing. And that's what we saw the last two years. These on-ramps and off-ramps that offer services to hold on to our crypto broke and they failed. Yeah, that's that's our take as well. We never wanted to to go that that route. Of course, the wallet topic is surfa- surfacing here and there, but something that remains the utmost priority is to keep it non-custodial. This is the, the primary way we operate. We prefer to work with non-custodial wallets and teams. Our work with custodial services is quite limited. 
simply because we know that there are way more risks involved with, yeah. with, with that. We've been there. I've been here since 2017. So I've seen the two bull runs, the two markets. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I see some joint patterns there. I think like very often this is putting trust into something that is not trustworthy at the beginning. And I saw the unfolding of, uh, you know, the, the FTX um, situation and, you know, what happened with Celsius before. And they all have like very similar uh, issues at the, at the very at the very bottom. So not your keys, not your crypto. If you're not storing your crypto on your own, you don't really have full confidence and it's going to be there. I'm not preaching that being non-custodial is perfect. As yeah. it's, uh, it's so complex and the onboarding is... It is. Uh, I mean, I it, it's box. quite far. I have a box here <laughs> full of, of hardware wallets. I mean, <laughs> literally, I have... I have drawers. I probably own one of every hardware. Anything physical, Bitcoin or crypto related, I want one. So I even have a Satoshi bobblehead. I got this Bitcoin sign. I have (laughs) art, all Bitcoin and crypto art all over my house, memorabilia, things like that. There's a Bitcoin museum, a crypto museum someone's launching. I want to donate all this stuff. But no, you're right. It's like being custodial creates a lot of difficulties. When you're when someone's buying crypto, there's a lot of fraud and there's a lot of scams. And one of the things that we lost a lot of money to at that yep. instant was that we had people scamming other people with Bitcoin, but then they were buying that, they were forcing their customers. So like someone set up a website saying, I can sell you any exotic pet. We call this the pet scam. Yeah. And people literally like they advertise like, like, what do you want? You want a zebra? You want a, a, an elephant? You want a tiger? You want a, you want like a giraffe shipped to New Jersey? This website would would sell it. They had a price and it was all in Bitcoin. This was 2012 now, maybe early 2012. They yeah. would, people would buy these, these elephants and then they would, they would direct people to go to BitInstant to buy their Bitcoin. And then they would send the Bitcoin to there and people don't understand what Bitcoin was. So I, we yeah. were on the hook for this pet scam. Like people were coming to us, like, where's my zebra? So how do you probably have a much, much more, you're, the, the things that you deal with are probably so much more advanced. You have intelligence platforms that, that I see you have. Like what kind of like crazy scams do you get that you have to like constantly being on the defense for? So I guess 10 years later, more than 10, year, 10 years later, and the same pattern exists. <laughs> My favorite is are the pharmacies. There's lots of pharmacies selling all kinds of drugs. And they're not, it's really not like, you know, selling car drugs or anything like that. It's mostly about things that are like, paramedicine and stuff like that yeah and uh, and there's the same same model as in you're receiving a link to execute a transaction and send it to someone else's wallet and uh, the thing is uh, we're still fighting with a lot of misunderstanding about what crypto is and how to use crypto so what we're trying to do what we're trying to build within ramp is to make sure that journey is fully understandable to people um, who use ramp so okay they're uh, we're making sure that they know what they're doing, that they're aware that they're sending crypto, that they're aware that they're buying crypto. We're making sure that the process is sometimes um, explains things in, in, in too much detail. Maybe sometimes it's, uh, it's a bit too much educational, but we do believe that at this stage, it's so worth it. If you're doing the transaction first time with RAMP, you're going to be seeing a lot of prompts saying, hey, this is a crypto transaction. You're buying crypto to your own wallet. Do not send crypto to somebody else's wallet and so on. Simply because we're still finding that kind of frauds that you that you've mentioned. Of course, besides that, we've seen much more elaborate scams happening in crypto right now, and um, we've seen operations happening across multiple banks, multiple crypto exchanges, multiple crypto on ramps, seeing the same kind of patterns. 
uh, I think one one thing that makes this that lures people towards centralized onboarding is that sometimes their UX can be better. Because for the centralized crypto on-ramp, you need to implement all of those protection methods into your into your very short flow. So it takes a lot of detailed work on the on the UX not to break the flow with all the protective measures you need to apply. And uh, we've been working on that tirelessly for the last for the last three years, um, I, I believe. And um, we're still very often making a sacrifice, saying it's going to take us longer if we met if we imp- implement both the protective measure and the UX controls. But let's do it. Let's not cut corners, let's not sacrifice what we believe in. We want to make this good for users, but we also want to make it secure. Because that security is not just about our balance sheet, it's also about the credibility and the stability we're giving to our partners. One of the main value propositions of RAMP is that we're going to help our partners grow with us. So we're going to adjust to to their technological updates. If they're going to move to layer two, we're going to move to layer two with them and so on. And um, we want to make sure that they can depend on us. And uh, being dependable means that we're not going to be rug pulled by Silvergate. We're not going to be rug pulled by any other US bank account. We're not going to be affected by any regulatory action. So being very diligent with what you're doing is, is what we're offering to the partners. So granting them that stability through very, very careful actions. How many jurisdictions do you operate in? We work in 160 countries and territories, more than that. Uh, we work in the US, we work in, in, in Europe. We're just expanding our operations towards Latin America very slowly, bit by bit. Uh, we've been around for, for quite a while already. And I think the, um, the biggest move we did was moving from you know just operating in Europe to operating globally. That was a massive, massive move that happened in 2021. And since then, we've been slowly increasing both the coverage and the quality of the, of the flow. You know, not every payment method would work, would work equally well in every yeah. region. Sometimes cards just don't work. Sometimes you need alternative payment methods. And I'm trying to work on both the horizontal coverage and sort of vertical coverage to make sure that that flow is more resilient. We're still going against banking institutions that flat out ban their customers from integrating with, with crypto merchants. So it's, uh, it's, it's not as easy as integrating. How do you one. deal with that? So it's, uh, it depends. So sometimes it's enough to just establish a good relation with the bank and tell them, hey, we're regulated. This is our statement. We're supervised by FCA, by FinCEN. They know us. They approve of us. Here's your credibility stamp. Work with us. And sometimes it does take a lot longer and it's tied to a country level um, regulation. Yeah. So sometimes it's not something we can affect directly, but more through educating the banks, educating policymakers. It feels like during the COVID years, whenever when we had that big bull run, it seemed like we were we were past the days where if you'd get a wire transfer from Coinbase or if you would like, you know, want to send money to FTX or something, your bank wasn't shutting you down. I still am losing bank accounts all the time as just being a crypto entrepreneur myself. Anytime you buy and sell crypto with like credit card, you're at risk of like the credit card shutting you down. And that's what you're alluding to. Every time you like buy and sell through an exchange, certain exchanges, especially if they have like word Bitcoin and crypto in their name, uh, there's a risk. That's why like Binance sends wires from like BAM trading or whatever. There's, you know, our bank accounts were shut down as a, as a company years ago. It's just, it's a very hard job that you have. And like you said, it's an interesting thing. It's almost like at a national level, it sounds like. It's like, do you, do you I hear about this thing on crypto Twitter and a lot of people heard about it too. It's like, it seems like there's this operation choke point Operation Choke Point 2.0 of like this silent directive of like shutting down the bank accounts and just choking out 
all crypto companies and things like that. Is there any reality to that? Because it, it kind of feels like it sometimes. So um, just within the on-ramp space, we have seen cases of being rug pulled by the by the bank, just by the by the bank account being closed, you know, with a day's notice, with no proper warning, just because you're operating a crypto company. It was one of the first risks that we've identified at Ramp when we started working on that. At that time, there was a similar company to us that shut down just because of that, just because they lost their access to bank account. And what we found out at, and what we decided at that moment is that we're never going to have just one bank account. And um, through, through that, we to make sure that we have replaceability on that one. They do happen and they do happen more frequently right now than they used to happen in the past. Um, so making sure that you're uh, making sure that you are resilient and that you have backup options and you maintain good relations with your banking provider is really essential. And that relationship with the banking provider is primarily based on how well you fight fraud, um, how well your protections are, how well your your governance structure is. So we're focusing on making sure that this is this is our priority. And that's a, and that that again addresses that stability that we're offering to to our partners and our users. I'm really excited that this podcast, the Charlie Shrum Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO David Waxman back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless, and that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are going to face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are going to love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. And so, okay, so a lot of it comes down because when the banks look at this, they're like, well, someone's doing a PayPal transfer or a Venmo through like some sort of, they trust that PayPal has like some sort of risk mitigation platform to deal with fraudulent transactions and like stolen bank accounts and such like that. We never had that. Like we were just at that instant on the defense. We were, you know, part of our process was you had a, a barcode and you'd go to the pharmacy, you'd hand the, the, the cashier the barcode that had our logo on it and like $100. And then when they scanned the barcode within 20 minutes after you gave them the cash, you'd have your Bitcoin. We had to like write on the barcode. If you are buying a exotic pet, Please call us like because like, we didn't know. So so like if I'm Charlie and I'm going to ramp today, I saw that I can go there. It's very nice. I can choose what where I live, my method of payment. And then you immediately allow me to like deposit my address and go through this process of buying crypto. When are you starting the process of like checking who I am or not just like my driver's license, but the intelligence that I'm not doing something fraudulent related? Like what's that process yeah. like? 
So that happens throughout the entire process. So when you start uh, the transaction, that is that is already um, already happening. We're trying to to check how much we can early stage. Then we're of course processing to identity verification. So that happens in in most cases okay. where. When you're typing in your your crypto address, we're also verifying that how this is this tied to anything that is too risky for us or not. It's actually more interesting when you look at the off-ramping side of things. So when you're buying crypto, you're to mostly verify the identity of the person, and when you're selling crypto, you need to check the legitimacy of the of the funds that are being sold through. Oh, perhaps. interesting. So we just we just recently launched the selling platform. I'm gonna do a short selling pitch because my team's gonna kill me for not doing that. So we just launched this platform for for ramp. It does work in Europe, it does work in the US, and it does work globally. So we support both payouts to cards and we support payouts to ACHs and real-time payments. So it's is it a really live? good offering. Both are, yeah, it is live. It's been live since December, American part, since January, uh, Europe and the rest of the world part. So oh, for this is so cool. Global I'm coverage. Use this. Go for that. So for I gotta use coverage. it. Request the demo. Is that what I have to do? No, yeah. Um you can just go to ram.network. Slash slash sell. Sell. Oh, look at this. Yeah, and then they're going to be able to run the transaction. We do support, I believe, more than 30 tokens from day one. So that's that's a pretty big coverage there. And uh, you're working on expanding that, working on adding more fancy tokens, working on adding the onboarding for layer twos and more advanced solutions there. So that's the case. And for the off-ramp part of things, Checking uh, of the transaction is actually more more subtle because you need to do the KYT. You need to check the transaction, and you need to check the legitimacy of the funds that are being sent to sent to RAM. So that is actually more advanced, more more interesting on that side because you get to track what's happening on the blockchain. Here you're entering some um, advanced blockchain analytics, yeah. and you can do more than just identity check. You know, checking against sanctions and stuff like that. So this is where it gets more more complex, and I think that. One of the most popular cam cases that we're seeing with both buying and selling is is that that link that you mentioned, someone sending you a link to perform a transaction, send the crypto to them. Yeah, It's still difficult to root out the cases like that. This is mostly that people are getting scammed based on that and they're sending crypto to not their own account. But people know what um, crypto so this, is. I mean, so I mean, you, there's nothing you could do. How much can you do about that? You're not responsible for being everyone's caretaker about how they're spending their that's money. That's true. That's true. You're not responsible for that. And, and and crypto is about responsibility to like being responsible to own your own money. Yes. That's, Say that again. That's, a thing. that's literally it's what about- this is about. Bitcoin and crypto to me, you, to you, you just said it is about learning how to be responsible for your own money. And that's made yeah. me how to learn how to be more. I'm writing that down. <laughs> That's cool. I'll, I'll quote me there for sure. So I think it's it's mostly about that. It's about being responsible about your own funds and resources. And what we do at Pump, we do not want to uh, teach people like this is good, this is bad, but we do want to give them a system that is secure and safe for them. So if we see that we can educate our users on how to do those transactions better, uh, we're going to do that. Something that we also pay a lot of attention to is making sure that even people who are making, you know, are, are consciously executing the transactions or are consciously buying and, send, and selling crypto, that they're not getting scammed just because they don't know what's what's the deal with on-ramps. So what we pay a lot of attention to is what we put on the pricing. So I think one part where on and off-ramps makes most money is the spread. Yes. So like nobody really controls what you put in the spread. It, there's no customer protection tool that 
No, it's you, like, uh, we'll give you yeah. whatever we can give you whenever we get your money and you don't know what it's yeah. going to be. And you can pay yeah. an extra amount to lock in your rate. But at that instant, yep. I had the scene. I never, we can never guarantee a rate to people because I, it's from a software perspective, from a physical time of value of money perspective, I never solved that. We would tell people it was a, unfortunately, it was a floating rate from the time that you deposited your money for like 12 hours or something like that. Because, yeah, yeah I didn't know how to solve that. So in our case, there's both fixed and floating rate depending on what kind of payment method you're using. If it's an instant payment method, we're going for the fixed rate. If, it, if it's going to take longer, then it's floating rate. But what I mean with that is because this is such an unpredictable thing, what rate you're going to give and, and the markets are so, are so volatile, companies are abusing that power. So they're consciously adding way more to the spread that they should be doing just because they know it's impossible to check that. So we're trying to educate people on that, saying that spread is additional source of for majority of the teams. Make sure that you check your transaction rate. Make sure that you at least take one look at CoinGecko before you're making that transaction. Look at this one, see what kind of rate you're getting, and then continue with your transaction. What we're trying to give to our users at Ramp is that transparency and clarity of what will be their transaction size, what will, what's going to be their transaction fee. We really want to make sure that this resonates well with them and that becomes a part of their, part of their crypto onboarding, that they're aware of what they're paying for. You alluded to this process a little bit before too, but what is that process like? Because part of the problems I see with with onboarding is because they don't know how much compliance they're going to have to do for you, that you don't know where the where it's going to end. I've used some of these other ones and, and then you have to do the whole face scan of verification, upload your driver's license, passport, proof of residency, but they don't tell you everything that you have to do in advance or how long it's going to take. Half the time the software is buggy. And then once it's done, then you're like awaiting verification for three days. So you're waiting for someone to approve everything. So what was the point anyways? It's just this cumbersome process. And so, yeah, how do you, how do you solve that? So it's mostly about making sure that you qualify the user in the right way. So you put them in the right category and they're being assigned the right level of required KYC verification. There's nothing I hate more than being asked for additional verification once I complete the transaction. Right. I feel like I'm I'm like super happy. I complete the ID scan. I'm good. I paid the waiting flow. And then it's like, oh, we need a bit more from you. So we're trying not to do that. We're trying to evaluate how much we're going to need from the user and let them know early on, let them know upfront what's going to be requested from them and how long it's going to take. We do have cases where verification takes longer. It does happen. But on average, that should not take longer than two, three minutes. Two, three minutes is still doable. It's not perfect because you would like that process of moving between fiat and crypto to be basically invisible. What we envision as the future of RAMP is making sure that that barrier just does not exist, that you can spend easily in fiat worlds and crypto worlds that does not make a difference where you put your money at. But it's not the case here. We're not there yet. We're working towards that. But right now, we're handling with two, three minutes before we get to two, three seconds. Yeah. The few minutes to few seconds things is everything. Yeah. You're out at ETH Denver right now. Primarily, anyone who wants to interact with anything crypto is probably using some some like MetaMask or Core app or some sort of variant, whether it's their ledger software, open, you know, or they're using the Trezor, they're interfacing. Is the browser extension the future? And I know it's a little bit of a different question, but you're interacting with retail customers on a day-to-day basis, on a minute-to-second-second basis. So your user interface and how you fine-tune it, every color, the location of every pixel, I'm sure you guys sit and discuss and spend hours about that. I know you do. 
my question is like, how do you solve some of those answers? How do you know what the crypto customer wants when me, me as a crypto customer, I don't even know what I want? I think there are two elements to that. One part is we use crypto. Of course, it's not possible if I'm like a, a bigger company, but um, people working on product, people working on business development at Ramp, we do use crypto on a daily basis. I spend my morning, because I'm jet-lagged right now, I spend my morning <laughs> checking how bridging works for, for, different, for different layers right now and checking out how, uh, how basis is so that the Coinbase L2 is working. So we use crypto on a daily basis and we make sure that our wishes, our comments are being factored in, into the product. So we're building a product that we would want to use. That's the first comment there. Second part, it's mostly about being able to sometimes foresee what's going to be happening on the markets. So not necessarily go for the current type. Don't spend all of your time on NFTs, but maybe look beyond that. Look what what's going to be the ultimate utility function for NFTs, what's going to be the target feature for, for a given bridge or, or a given chain. Look a bit beyond that and try to match your product to what's going to happen on the market. What are you seeing? I mean, what are you seeing downstairs at, at East Denver? Like anything surprising you? Anything you didn't see that you didn't know before that's, that's out there that's so cool? So as usual, every year, I'm surprised by how many projects are there that I don't know. So every year I'm surprised by, okay, there's more of us. That's a good thing. Yeah, um, that is something a good thing. that, yeah, it, back a few years, I knew everybody at those conferences. And right now it's like, there's a lot of new faces. A lot of, a lot of new faces. And like at some point, it's like, okay, I know less and less people at, uh, at that point. And that's a good thing. When it comes to more on the new things in crypto side, I think for me, the thing I wanted to understand during that conference was the news about account abstraction, the, the gossips that, that came from Huron Foundation about the Shanghai update, about account abstraction, and uh, trying to understand how that would impact the growth of, of the community, how that would impact uh, the wallet experience. I'm happy that it happened, but it's, it's still on, only on the application level. So it's not on the protocol level. It's not something that we're hoping for and looking for and expecting. Oh, but it's, it's not. It's, so this got approved yesterday, right? And I thought it was going yeah. on the actual Ethereum chain. What What was the? It was so, yeah, so one was part it, is that yeah. ERC the whole what? Shanghai app. Um, I think it's four four seven, three four four seven, something like that. I don't I don't remember the the exact exact number. But the, the the main update is mostly about sharding. It's not really related to to account abstraction. What relates to account abstraction is that they sort of added the option to do account abstraction on an application layer which is the same thing, similar thing to what Argent or uh, Gnosis Safe are, are doing. Something yeah. that we already have, but was not included as a basic staff or something like this. So what we're looking forward is having that, but on the protocol layer, something more complex, more advanced, and more groundbreaking for our Ethereum community. That's a huge deal. But at yeah. the same time, it's nice to see like constant updates and things like that and, and launching like, I didn't think Ethereum personally would be where it is today simply because so many different protocols were trying to be Ethereum killers. And I didn't yeah. think that the merge would happen ever eventually, but it did. And so the fact that that got through and it seems Ethereum is a lot more decentralized than it's ever been, although I'm not fully sold on proof of stake, you know, my hat's off to the Ethereum developers. Speaking of Gnosis Safe, we had Christoph on the show here. We, we released the episode and he's at East Denver too. We just released that episode. Yeah, I, I saw him um, at the booth yesterday. So um, it's all friends and family. Yeah, it really is great. Like you said, it's cool because I remember walking around conferences or the one conference that was 
And the only other competitor, so when BitInstant launched, the only other real competitor that we had, Coinbase, and they had like launched a few weeks before. And so they were just nothing. It was just Brian and no one even knew what Coinbase was. It was just some guy who was working at Airbnb launched this company, you know, similar to what Coinbase looks like now. But I looked at him, I was like, this guy is going to be the end of me. And I was right because <laughs> he just approached Bitcoin from a product level. And Bin Instant was launched out of a necessity. We were like band-aids and rubber bands put together to connect the legacy financial system with this new Bitcoin ecosystem. We were like Netscape. We, Netscape never yeah. was, it's just legacy, legacy. And I was really bitter about that for a while. But Brian, I know you're listening. I'm okay about it now. Hi, Brian. Good that you're listening. <laughs> no, I love the Coinbase folks. We have someone from Coinbase on the show once every once every six months or something like that. But wait, like I was saying earlier in the show, to kind of bring it all back together, you have the hardest job because everyone else, not everyone else, but most people can just focus on the cool crypto products that they're building. Because once someone's in crypto land, once they're holding on to Bitcoin or ETH or USDC or whatever it is, once they have the crypto, then whatever they do with it, it's the responsibility of the person. And it seems like regulations are going to be going that way too. So if you're building a DeFi protocol, you don't have as much to worry about as the, the payment processors and operation choke points. So as the bad ones have fallen, ones like yourself that have to maintain the good relationships and everything like that, it's a hard job, but it's also a good thing. It's also good that the good companies are still going to be around. Someone was asking me the other day, it's like, how do I buy crypto? Other than Coinbase, I don't even know where to recommend people to. There's no one left standing. Well, you should definitely give it a go and try buying or selling with, with Ramp, whatever works best for you at that, at that moment. I love the fact that there's a lot of competition on the on-ramping, on and off-ramping space. I've been there, uh, you know, when the first big on-ramps were created. I, I met uh, the founders from, from Transact and MoonPay. And despite very heavy competition there, that's a bit of a bloodbath. We're still very, very appreciative of what we're doing because we're pushing the adoption. We're pushing each other to better, to provide better payment methods, to provide better coverage. And that eventually drives better adoption for the entire community and drives better services for the entire community. So my best to the teams there, we're always meeting and, and having lots of fun on conferences. So it's a, it's a great thing to, to work with them together on pushing that the quality of those services ahead. I think like one thing that is missing from, from crypto in general is that SLA, is that you never really can depend on anything. And having really good competition in the field makes you want to push yourself and actually give your, your customers that, that guarantee that you're, you're going to be in service, that you're going to provide a, you know, a timeline on funds delivery, that you're going to be really clear about how much you're charging and so on. It's beautiful. Well, Paulina, thank you so much for taking time out of your conference experience, coming on the show and spending an hour with us. How fun at the event. They're usually so much fun. Just from following TikTok, there's so many concerts and fun things happening. I love crypto culture. It's just, it makes us like validates why we work it so hard every single day. Yeah, it's good to have some some fun after the terrible fall that we had. Yeah. The last one was just, was just abysmal. It's, it's great to see the conference season bring back up the, the fun and enjoyment and that joint passion for, for driving the adoption here. We'll see you later. Amazing. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> 